all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where I talk to founders, investors, and operators about all things value creation in startups. Today, I am speaking with Hamid Shohaji, who is the founder and CEO of many startups, including Axosoft, sold it, get cracking, sold it. Pure Chat sold it, NetTime Solutions co-founder sold it, and now at Savvy Trader, which is his new uh, startup that he's working on. He's also um, a very big contributor and author, starting to become very active on FinTwit. Um, it's a masochistic behavior. I can't believe you're actually doing that. Uh, and an investor, both in private and public. So with that, I give you Hamid Shohaji. Hamid, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, dude? I lost my wallet today. Did you really? Yeah. And it's like this thing in the back of my head. I don't know if I left it at home or like it fell out of my pocket. And I just, it, it's just one of those things. Like it's not that hard to, you know, cancel your credit cards and get another driver's license. But it, like, it, dude, it is like, yeah. it, it's bothering me. <laughs> like, I can't get it out of my head. Yeah. I mean, plus it's like these annoying tasks that you have to get done now. Yeah. Right. All of a sudden, like your task list just got filled with a bunch of different things that you didn't plan on. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, I have enough problems. I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need that. I got kids and stuff. So, um, so, I mean, tell me a little bit about your background, you know, and how you kind of went through your entrepreneurial journey and how you ended up at Savvy Trader. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll do the 30 second version. I uh, was born in Iran. Uh, my parents uh, immigrated to the U.S. when I was 10. Uh, they were entrepreneurs. So I was around entrepreneurs all the time. They had like a gift shop uh, in Old Town Scottsdale. My dad bought and sold cars. Um, so, you, you know, sort of grew up with uh, entrepreneurial mentality and uh, fell in love with software in my teens and always knew I wanted to do something in software, start a software company. Um, kept bothering my roommate in college to start something in software. We finally did. That was the net time solutions you mentioned. I was not part of it when it was sold, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I gave it a, a good effort for, uh, for like five years and gave up and left and the company went through all kinds of struggles, but credit to my partner there. Um, he stuck through it. They sort of rebuilt it, uh, and, uh, from almost from the ground up and, uh, ended up selling it. Uh, many years after I had left. Um, and then I started another software company um, after I had le left NetTime Solutions a few years after. Uh, that was Axosoft. Um, built that for 18 years. We had a, a side project that sort of took off. That became Pure Chat, which was a side, a side project that we spun off into its own company. Um, so coincidentally, Axosoft and Pure Chat were both sold in 2020. Um, Axosoft had uh, two products. We had a project management product, which was called Axosoft, and another product called GitKraken, which was still part of the Axosoft entity. So when we sold Axosoft, GitKraken was 
essentially part of that. And mm-hmm. But it was essentially, it could have been its own business, right? From a product perspective. Yeah. In fact, that was the main reason the acquirer wanted to buy yeah. it is, is because of the Get Kraken product. Um, and the company now is renamed to Get Kraken. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like one com- one product sunsetted, the other one rose. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, yeah. And then uh, I uh, retired for a little while. That was about a year and a half and got bored and started another software company called Savvy Trader. So here we are. And tell us about Savvy Trader. So Savvy Trader is uh, this idea of being able to uh, recreate and uh, share your investment portfolio in the stock market with other people, right? So if you invest in stocks, um, oftentimes people are talking about what they're buying or selling with their friends or family, but there's no easy way to sort of like notify people of what you have or like let people see exactly what you have and uh, when you're buying or selling them. And Savvy Trader sort of makes that super, super easy. And uh, it's... Uh, it's the intent, like the initial idea was because I often shared my, my investments with, uh, friends and family, but I had no sort of systematic way of like, you know, if I talk to them about it, about a particular stock or investment at dinner, I might not see them again for three months and who knows what I was doing during those three months. Right. right? And then you could, you could have sold it and they're still in it. Right. Or, or sometimes the stock moves one direction or the other. And you, you know, like I might, buy some more if it goes down and people often panic and sell when things go down or whatever. But so, the, you know, the idea behind it was to sort of share that, uh, that knowledge and be able to sort of show transparently what you're investing in and how was your performance over time. So if, if the person that you're, uh, that, that is talking a particular stock even knows what they're doing. Right. right. So showing that performance is a pretty big deal. And quickly we realized that, okay, well, there's a lot of people in the social media universe that are talking various investments and they're all the Michael Jordan of investing, right? But you can never see their performance. There's never, yeah, there's a gazillion experts. That's right. And, and, uh, so Savage Trader makes it super, uh, transparent for, for people's past performance, right? From the moment you start using Savage Trader, we track your performance and then like over time we can show that performance to others. So either you're full of shit and you don't know what you're doing mm-hmm. <laughs> or your performance sort of reveals itself over time. And, uh, people can, you, you know, your subscribers or followers can sort of uh, value that judgment. <laughs> you should do that for angel and venture. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> lies about those portfolios too. Yeah. <laughs> but at least the investors in, in, uh, in venture or, you know, angel investments, they know, you know, how their investment has done. But like when you're, uh, seeing someone on Twitter, uh, talk about how well they have done. You don't actually know whether or not they're being truthful. Yeah. When'd you get in? When'd you get out? Right. right. And everybody, you know, supposedly has had perfect timing on all that. stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So that's interesting that you mentioned timing. So why did you call it, and this might've just been a a nuance, but why didn't you call it savvy investor versus savvy trader? And do you see like a difference between trading and investing in your, in your customer profile? So um, it's probably a little bit of my own naiveness because I'm a long-term investor um, in the stock market. So um, when uh, when we were deciding on names, uh, the, you know, Trader was sort of like the easier one that we found and Savvy Trader just made sense. You, Sounds you are sort of, you know, when you're investing in the stock market, you are doing trades. So I thought it made a lot of sense. It turns out that... Uh, you, you know, we learn later found out that like people who call themselves traders are usually day traders right? versus, you know, long-term investors don't call themselves traders. Um, 
I mean, like, the, the, really, the tool can be used by both. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you, you know, day traders can go prove out their performance mm-hmm. on Savvy Trader as well. Uh, but, you know, generally speaking, uh, like, I'm personally a long-term trader. A lot of people on the platform are long-term investors. Um, Savvy Investor may have been a better name, but I, I don't even think that that was available. How do you, uh, how do you d- differentiate between a trader and an investor? Like it, yeah, I, mean, I mean, do you think it's to, a whole of a, a year or more? Or? No, not necessarily. Yeah. I, I don't have any pre- uh, preconceived notions of how long I should hold on to a particular investment. But, y- y- you know, uh, a lot of day traders will sort of like uh, invest based on what they call uh, technical analysis, which is usually watching a p- particular pattern or moving averages of a particular stock, whether it's going up or 50-day moving average has hit a particular peak or valley or whatever, and they sort of based, do trades based on that. To me, that's very disconnected from the reality of how is the company doing and is the company overvalued or undervalued, right? So my investment style happens to be um, where I evaluate the company and I determine whether or not I would buy the company at the current market cap price if I could buy the entire thing, right? So, you, you know, when uh, when I was investing heavily in Meta, for example, I wasn't looking at Meta's price per share uh, and how its price per share was moving, I was looking at Meta and thinking, is a company that generates over $120 billion in revenue, over $40 billion in profit, worth only $200 billion? No, that's a fucking steal. I'll take that all day right. long. And I just went heavily into it, right? Um, so, uh, you know, but is it worth a trillion? Uh, maybe not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so... Th- that, that, that's, in my opinion, that's the right sort of way to invest. And then you sort of wait it out, right? Like uh, the market is uh, temperamental and it goes up and down for a variety of reasons. Um, and you just got to kind of have a Zen-like attitude about that. So what happens if you want to get into investing and it's like, you know, there aren't really any good deals? And like, how do you think about dollar? What, but I mean, like, what, I mean, are you, are you a fan of always be invested dollar cost averaging No, kind of coming in because you can't really time good value versus bad, you know, looking at trends. I mean, everyone was saying, you know, Facebook's going to get demolished by, you know, TikTok and you know, it got, that didn't happen. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, and, but no one could call that. Right. I mean, I did. Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> but, but you, you know, like, so, so um, I, I think that, like, uh, uh, dollar cost averaging is a good strategy, especially, uh, like, if you are new to investing, uh, it, it might make sense not to put it all in at the same time. Uh, but also having some cash uh, on the sidelines. Like, even right now, uh, I, I think my portfolio shows I'm 26% in cash, something, something to that effect. And, uh, you know, cash is always good to have around, especially when the market presents like insane opportunities, right? And in uh, 2021, uh, as an example, I thought the market was so overvalued that I think it was like 60, 70% in cash. Um, In 2022, like last year, when I first started, like most of the 2022, um, my portfolio was showing like 40% or more was in cash until like it just became kind of ridiculous and like Facebook was um, being valued at a ridiculous price. And same with uh, Robinhood, by the way, I thought Robinhood like at one, at one point was being traded at below its cash levels, which is kind of insane. If you're an investor, you kind of, especially in the startup world, you know that like the amount of cash you generally invest in a company, you're getting at most 
a quarter or maybe one third of that company. So the fact that Robinhood had as much cash as the entire company was worth at one point in time based on its stock price meant it was just valued ridiculously low. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I went heavily into those uh, stocks, l- largely because the opportunity presented itself. You, you, you got to be patient as an investor. And the, the other part of it uh, as an investor, you also have to be patient in waiting it out, right? Like, so Robinhood has not gone up significantly since I've invested in it, right? But I'm patient. I'm actually adding to my Robinhood position as the price continues to sort of fluctuate and go down uh, on the valleys. I end up sort of like adding some more. Um, something like 20% of my portfolio now is in Robinhood. Okay. Okay. And so value, right, is definitely the, the leading indicator, but like, where does like, you know, I mean, news is, you know, it's not an indicator, but it is a data point. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. And so like what, what made Robinhood go down? Are they burning cash? I don't know much about the stock. They were, uh, you, you know, like uh, quite a bit of last year and you, the whole sort of meme frenzy with GameStop uh, right. sort of. Uh, burned them quite a bit because they sort of made some mistakes there. There was a lot of people who sort of swore they were like uh, in cahoots with, uh, with you know, Robinhood was intended to sort of um, uh, equalize the playing field for investors, right, for right. the little guys. And uh, a lot of people accused them of uh, being in, you know, with the big guys right. when the whole sort of GameStop fiasco happened and they stopped the trading of GameStop. But, you know... If you looked into the details, you kind of came to the conclusion that Robinhood had no choice and they were sort of like put into a situation that it was either like kill the company or not allow GameStop to be traded for a day or two or whatever happened. I mean, that, you know, may have been a mistake in retrospect, but they also didn't die. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. So... I mean, there is, there is switching costs. I mean, it's a pain in the ass for somebody to switch, right? right. Are they really going to like, you know, get rid of all their trading because dot, 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 yeah. right? So the news was very negative around uh, around them, but like oftentimes when the news is negative is also the best buying opportunities. Like right, like last year the news was so negative on Meta that like oh Meta is going to die. Like a lot, lot of people thought I was so crazy for buying Meta because Meta is about to like basically yeah, go it's bankrupt. like the evil empire, right? Yeah, but, but not just the evil empire. You, you know, a lot of people don't care whether or not it's an evil empire if it's making them money, which right. is kind of another totally. sort of interesting totally. like, yeah. uh, idea that like. I don't care if it's Exxon Mobil, as long as it's generating money for me. But um, that's the evil empire in my my view. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, but Meta uh, was being sort of like <clears throat> predicted as as a company that was going to go bankrupt uh, for a lot of people. But Robinhood was another one. Tesla was another one. Uh, Twitter was another one. I mean, like uh, a lot of these companies are pronounced dead oftentimes, and you, you know those present the best opportunities if the, if the market is wrong about them. Do you right? think that that's like short selling, you know, uh, intentional behavior or oh, for sure. Some yeah. of it is right. But I mean, others, it's just, you know, like people's opinions, legitimate opinions, but short sellers add to the, uh, fuel, uh, the fire, they, they add fuel to the fire for sure. How do you like, how do you identify, um, going in and out, right. Of specific positions tax consequences, right? Yeah. And versus, I mean, you, you know, you, Facebook's high, you know, you can sell it. Let's assume that, you know, you're caught, you know, you're completely, you know, out of the woods, right. From your cost basis. So you're paying, you know, capital gains of X percent, right? which it's not, it's, I mean, it's cheaper than any, any other kind of income you're going to pay, but yeah. you know, it's, you know, upwards of 20%, right. right. Or 15 20, to 20%. Roughly 25 with 
Yeah, depending state, state tax too. Right. Yeah, and and so I mean, you're literally taking a 25 percent haircut to put money on the side, and right. you know, you're kind of waiting, right? So right. it's like, why not wait until like still look for the great opportunities, but just sell out when that happens, right? Because your tax liability actually might not be as high. Yeah. Right. Do you think about that at all? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and in fact, uh, every dollar you keep in, if that stock continues to, to do well, um, the portion that you would have paid on taxes is also growing. Mm-hmm. So you end up doing better. So like over a 10 year period, if you could hold buy one stock and hold it for 10 years and that stock just for sake of argument, went continued to go up 20% year over year. But um, another strategy was that you sold a stock uh, or many stocks every year for 10 years throughout the 10 years, and you still average 20% year over year. The one that you bought and hold for 10 years would actually have significantly higher value at the end of the 10-year period, largely because of the tax consequence. So let's say you sold it at the end of 10 years after paying taxes, you still have more money in that one than the other portfolio where you're buying and selling stuff. Um, every year. Mm-hmm. And, and that's because of the uh, additional gain that you would have on the taxes you didn't pay throughout the 10 years, right? So yeah, I definitely think about that. And I, I try not to sell too early if I can. If something gets like completely out of whack and like way ahead of its stock price, um, I, I do sell just because I'm, I'm like, okay, you know, at this point in time, it might not make sense for me to hold on to it anymore. But or at least a portion of it. Yeah. Like I guess I felt that way about NVIDIA, you know, two years ago and I was wrong. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my God, I made so much money off this. I think, you know, we're good, you right. know? And then what's it up? 250% this year or something? Yeah. The whole AI craze, uh, you couldn't have possibly seen it two years ago, no. but, but uh, I, I'm one of those people who thinks NVIDIA is way overvalued right now. Right. Yeah. So, you know. I don't think you're, I mean, uh, look at ARM. I mean, they were like five times oversubscribed and that was that's not a great company yeah. on their IPO. I mean, all you have to do is look at Intel. Right. <laughs> where, <laughs> right. Where where's, these, where's this going? Right? Yeah. yeah. And Intel still has more revenue than uh, NVIDIA, but it's trading at like roughly, you know, one seventh the price of right. NVIDIA. Well, and then, but then how would you look at like Tesla? Right. Because yeah. I know you're, you know, we're a big, you know, you know, you made some, you know, you did really well, you know, on that. So, yeah. Everyone's like, oh, it's, you know, it's a fraction. There's only so many cars on the road. It's a car company. How did you kind of oversee buying into that concept? Were, did you, was your entry point at a good valuation or did you, oh, yeah. or did you see the growth? Uh, I think my entry point on average was like around 12 bucks a share, like something like that, 12 or, uh, so, you know, maybe plus or minus a couple of dollars. But w- with Tesla, I was buying between 2015 and 20, uh, 19. Um, 2019 was like when I went all in, when the market had just decided that like Tesla was going bankrupt. <laughs> that was another example of like a um, company that, you know, was basically pronounced dead by short sellers, by a lot of the sort of news sites, everything. At, in 2019, I think it was like May, June timeframe of 2019, Tesla's entire market cap was roughly $35 billion. So you could buy this company that had $25 billion in revenue in 2019 or the previous year um, for 35 billion. And it was on a trajectory that every year it was just killing it. I mean, it was just going up 50, 60% year over year, 70% year over year in revenue. And there doesn't, there didn't seem to be any sort of stop because they hadn't even penetrated 1% of the car market yet. Correct. And, and 
that was just the car business. And it was clear as a Tesla driver that their vehicles were fantastic. They weren't catching fires, just, you know, you know like the, right. all the rumors were bullshit, basically. So, right. uh, but, they, you, but the unit economics weren't that great, were they? They On weren't Tesla. bad. I didn't, know, I didn't know the story. So, I mean, like, I mean, they yeah. were burning cash, obviously. There was government subsidy, I think, attached to it. So did you weigh that in? Yeah, yeah, they they were uh, they were always um, uh, profitable on a per vehicle basis. Got it. But uh, but you know, like they had to hit a certain number before they were like profitable, profitable on their own. And it was clear it was going to get there. And but but the price uh, of the company and and the way it was being hurt was based on vehicles not being news articles and you know like rumors that the vehicles were catching fire. They were not good. They were just poor quality. Nobody wants an EV. Those were sort of like the stories in 2019. And one of the advantages that you have as a potential investor is investing in things that you know or products that you use, right? Mm -hmm. So like I, always t I often use this example. I haven't personally invested and I should have. Um, but if you happen to be a yoga person and you sort of like uh, started uh, wearing Lululemon outfits to yoga classes, and realize that this company is public and it's just the beginning of the, you know, like craze for, you know, the yoga people to start, you know, changing out their outfits to Lululemon. If you would have just invested in that company until you hated the product, you would have done incredibly well, mm -hmm. right? Like I caught that one. Did you? Yeah, you I were did. In Lulu? I was yeah. in Lulu early and I literally just went to Viore because their product went to shit. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's perfect. So like now it might be a good time to get out of Lulu right? Yeah. <laughs> because now they've done their growth. Okay. So how much more are you, uh, are, you know, like the possibility of growth has diminished pretty significantly. Right. So, I mean, they still might, but like mm -hmm. it's different than right. early days. I think when they started doing the mirror stuff, I was like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is going in a different direction. Right. Right. But, you know, like, so me having been a Tesla uh, user, you know, I kind of knew early on that, like, okay, this is a really solid company. Product is pretty amazing. Um, the future is this. And, um, yeah, I felt pretty confident in that investment. Same thing with Twitter. You know, like, Twitter went down to, um, before Jack Dorsey. It was pronounced dead. Or after Jack Dorsey came back, it was pronounced dead. Uh, Twitter shares went all the way down to like 12 or 13 bucks a share. And, you know, that was like, I use Twitter every day. Like I've been looking at their financials. It doesn't look like, and they have a ton of cash. This company is not going anywhere, <laughs> you know? So mm -hmm. uh, cash on hand is another sort of great indicator as to whether or not a company is solid enough to sort of um, go through uh, their troubles or turmoils or not, right? So now you're a pretty active member of FinTwit. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like what's, I mean, I, I don't, you, you might've been more before, but I'd notice it more now yeah. because of Savvy Trader. I mean, doesn't that just beat you down emotionally? No, I, I love engaging okay. uh, online, like with people. I, think, I mean, people are very, uh, you, you know, like, because you, it's not face to face, right? So people are very blunt and they're like, people call you tough. stupid or like, like yeah, yeah, or <laughs> act tough, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever. But, but like, um, I enjoy it. I, 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 uh, I try to sort of, uh, not attack people personally, but like I respond with the reasons why I believe something is true. Mm -hmm. What about diversification rebalancing? Yeah. So you take, you have pretty big positions, right? Yeah. Actually, let me, let me, let me, let me ask this question before that, that your portfolio and savvy trader, 
that's not your entire portfolio. You have real estate, you have private equity funds. So uh, I used to, but I uh, recently went through a divorce. Um, but like, uh, I don't have a lot of real estate, actually. I, um, we're trying I have a building that we're, we're selling, but, but, um, um, uh, no, that, that portfolio represents probably more than 90, maybe 80, 80% of my, uh, net worth now post post okay. divorce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. This will but, not be used in testimony. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 uh, the, um, yeah, no, I, I think, and it's like everything, uh, it, it represents my IRA, my, like, uh, I have multiple brokerage accounts and the <laughs> one portfolio represents all of them. So going back to diversification though, like one of the things that you sort of grow up learning and getting engraved into your head is don't put all your eggs in one basket, but it turns out that's not really great advice, right? Like, um, Warren Buffett has a great quote that sort of summarizes, um, how you should be thinking about it, uh, which is that uh, um, uh, focus or like uh, very few investments is a great way to build wealth and diversification is a great way to sort of maintain wealth, right? So Mm. uh, I would challenge anybody to find a billionaire or extreme billionaire that has- Who didn't bet big. Who didn't bet big on a single thing, by the way. Right. (laughs) Right, like usually most of them are entrepreneurs who bet big on one thing their own company, right? Or, or themselves, which is the best bet you can make, by the way. But even on investment side, you know, if you're, let's say you're just for sake of argument, you're making, and this is not investment advice, but so let me, let me put that out there. <laughs> but, but let's say you're making a hundred thousand a year and you're investing 10,000 of that per year. Okay. And you put it into S and P 500. This is the sort of like the common advice that people get is just put it in the S and P 500. You're, you're sort of like diversified. It's really good. The stock market generally goes up. Yeah, that's probably good if you want to spend zero time thinking about things and making your own decisions. And you'll, you know, you'll get like 8% on average. That's how well the S&P has done over the past 20 years or whatever. But um, the S&P is an index of 500 different stocks. It's extremely diversified. So it's a great way to conserve wealth but when you're investing $10,000 a year, that's not wealth, right? Like, so if you're hoping that th- that $10,000 a year is going to make you a millionaire after 15, 20 years or whatever, um, when you put in a couple of hundred thousand into it, um, you have to be way higher risk, right? And, um, you know, like if, if instead you took that 10000 and <coughs> invested it in, um, let's say, three stocks, but companies that you used the product of and you, were, you felt confident about, and those companies were relatively young, which is hard to find, by the way. It's hard to find products that you use who happen to also be public, who happen to also be young, right? Yeah. Because like we all use Especially Apple. Especially in tech. Right. Because we all use Apple, but like now Apple is a $3 trillion company. I mean, it's already done its like major moves. Apple is probably never going to 10X again in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe my, not my lifetime, but at least... The next 10 years, it's not going to 10, 10x, right? Whereas in the previous 10 years, it has. And previous 20 years, it has more than 100x, right? So that's the kind of stuff you want to be able to find. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think they're out there. They don't come around all the time, but they do come around quite a bit. If you were a Netflix user and you're like, man, this is great. Someday everybody's going to be streaming, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, if, if you made that decision, you would have done well. If you were an iPhone user and any, anytime 
by 2011, 2012, you would have invested in Apple because you're like, someday all of these, you know, people are going to have iPhones. You would have done well, you know. So I think it's not super difficult to find great companies to invest in and picking a very few number and making bigger bets are, is, is a better strategy. It has been a much better strategy for me. I have actually averaged over 30% year turn, return year over year for the past 20 years, which is unheard of. No one believes me when I say that, by the way, mm-hmm. because that's a 200, <clears throat> 200x return over 20 years. And um, yeah, I mean, like for every dollar that I kept in that I put in 20 years ago, that dollar is over $200 today, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So um, no one believes it, which is part of the reason that I also want, motivated me to build Savvy Trader because <laughs> now I want to prove it. Right? For the, for the next. I so, yeah, I am so insecure about this. I need people to know about well, it. Well, it's not, it's not an insecurity. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I have no way to sort of easily prove it, uh, right. right? But like, um, uh, and, and I don't want to put out like details of my financials out right. there from different years. People wouldn't believe it anyway. You could screenshot, you know, you could Photoshop all that stuff. So now my portfolio is public. People can follow it. You know, they can see for themselves and it's been public for over a year and a half now. And so I get it, right? That you've done, you've done really good at picking, right? You've done some great picking. What about the person? It's just like the active inactive, right? And we just kind of all talked about that. Usually active pickers, let's just say someone's just completely ignorant, right? To the stock market and they pay a picker, right? Would they be better off paying a picker or would they be better off just being in an index? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the general advice to them has been put your money in an index. And actually the general advice for them by the pickers, the the sort of like uh, Mm -hmm. the industry experts, that if you go to a financial advisor, they'll charge you 1% of your money per year. So, you know, if you're investing a hundred grand, they'll charge you a thousand dollars a year or whatever um, to put your money in an index, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is kind of like, you know, how stupid is that? What am I paying you for? Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, that's the, that's the sort of like overwhelming advice right now uh, on the, on the market. Uh, and again, you, you know, like savvy trader, uh, and, and I'm not here to sort of like promote savvy trader, but like the, the idea, uh, behind savvy trader was also like to sort of get ideas. Allow people. Yeah. Allow people who might not know to see other people who might know a little bit about what they're doing. And you can tell that based on their past performance, because we show you their performance over time. Um, you can see their sort of thought process as to why they're buying something, why they're selling something. They can make comments about the market and you can see what they hold. So if you wanted to, you could replicate their portfolio. You know, that's totally up to you, but right. Yeah. What about, um, how do you think about biases when investing? Right. Cause there's, there's a lot of them. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I've been reading some books about biases and learning how to make decisions and um, specifically, specifically book uh, by Annie Duke right now, I think it's called how to make decisions or something. And she's a poker player. Right. And you know, everyone makes decisions on a limited basis of information. And generally 
people make decisions based on the outcomes that that those decisions made, not by the decision making process. But there's a step in between there, which is called luck, right? That that accounts for a lot. You know, you could have made a great decision based on the information you had, but it didn't turn out good, and vice versa, right? right. You could have made no, you know, no no uh, no mental model or or work to make a decision and it turned out good, and you might think that that would be a bias that you would have in the future. So, how do you think about biases? I mean, I probably don't think specifically about biases uh, in particular. Everyone makes mistakes, and usually, if you like, sort of trace it back, uh, your your mistakes are generally have something to do with your biases, right? Like, sure, <laughs> I have a bias towards, for example, um, I, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a great future, like that is uh, driven by green energy, and you know, like. Uh, uh, companies that might be doing good for the environment. So <clears throat> I've made it, you know, like one big mistake in, in that area as well. So like one of the companies that I started investing in is a company called Archimoto. And Archimoto makes this sort of three-wheeled electric vehicle. That's oh, yeah. like a I, took, I, I was in a ride. I, you rode around in that with you. Oh, did, did, did I give you a ride? Oh, yeah, yeah that's you gave awesome. me a ride. It scared the <laughs> shit out of me. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually um, started investing in, in pretty heavily in it before I bought the product. So I wasn't a customer. I didn't know as much about the uh, product um, until after I bought the product. When I bought the product, something interesting started happening, which is people were like very intrigued by it. It's a good product, but it had this sort of like uh, three wheel, you know, like a lot of people's yeah. sort of perception was like, that's like not a, as cool as a motorcycle. It didn't have the cool factor, right? Like, right. It is this a bike? Is this, you know, like, right. you know, or is this a car? Like how am I supposed to think about this? Right. Right. So, so one of the things that I didn't realize, I actually like uh, my, my son uh, who um, was excited to see it, you know, we, we took a ride together and then I was like, do you want to drive it to the Scottsdale Quarter, which is where we're going? He's like, no, I don't want to be seen in that thing. It's I was like, what? So, yeah. so like it literally, that's when it sort of dawned on me. That's so funny, dude. That, yeah. And, and, you know, like I changed my position on that, but it was like by then the stock had already gone down like something like, you know, 60, 70%. I, I and yours was it. yellow too, right? Yeah. So like he really oh. didn't want to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it grabs people's attention, but that's a good reason to like be a customer of a product, right? Like before you go, you go all in. And I had gone all in before I was a, uh, a customer of the, of the company or product. Uh, and, and I slowly realized that not only was the product not going to be super desirable in the marketplace, but also the company had other sort of execution problems that even if they solved, they weren't going to get there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I, I lost a pretty uh, substantial amount of money in, in that particular investment. But here's the cool thing about investing uh, is that you can lose, uh, let's say, 100% of your money in an investment or multiple, but another investment can go up 400%, right? There's no limit as to how much they can go up. There's a limit on, as to how much they can go yeah. down unless you're doing risky stuff, which I don't advise. But, um, but then the, the ones that go up can very well make up for the ones that go down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's like that emotional response, right? That people are 
much more affected by losing money than they are at making money. Right. Yeah, and I'm I have that bias. I hate losing money. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm in the wrong I'm in the wrong profession, honestly. But <laughs> <laughs> and when I do make money, I'm like I didn't make enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a bias everyone has yeah. to some degree. I'm, like, I'm just perpetually unhappy, but you know, that's just a personality problem. I mean, it might be a human problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what are you excited about the next couple of years? What's going uh, on with Savvy Trader? What are you doing the next couple of years? What, what are some big things? Well, we, we, we're, uh, we've made Savvy Trader into like a uh, generic investment tool besides be, being something that you can share portfolios and discover other pe- people's portfolios with. Like uh, earnings season is coming up, the best place to see who's reporting earnings and what the expectations, analyst expectations are, is on Savvy Trader. That's hard to find. Yeah, it's right? extremely hard to find. And, and like, and, and Yahoo Finance is unusable. Oh yeah, I mean, like I, I was an avid Yahoo Finance user before Savvy Trader, and one of my goals was to like never have to go to Yahoo Finance, and I never go to Yahoo Finance anymore. Savvy Trader is my tool for news for seeing who's reporting for getting stock quotes of things I didn't even own. Right. Like, uh, let's say Rivian is going down 20% one day yesterday. <laughs> uh, you want to know what the hell's going on? Where do you go? I, I mean, like now I go to savvy trader.com, right? Like it's, uh, it's got the news there as well. And yeah. I feel like this thing is becoming a savvy trader ad and like, that was not, <laughs> not, not the intent. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're paying me for this. So I mean. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. <laughs> well, no, because I think, you know, I, I want to talk about what people think are excited about. Right. And, yeah. you know, um, well, let, let's move off of savvy trader. Let's, let's talk about what I'm like, what are we excited about? Like in, in okay. the world that's happening in the world. Okay. Starship is an exciting thing that's happening. Right? Yes. Yes. I, like do, do, are you excited about that? I'm excited about Starship. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited, honestly. I mean, you say what you want. I mean, I'm, I like everything that Elon's doing. Yeah, me <laughs> you too. Know, I, I mean, like, he, he's, he's an dumb, asshole. Yeah, he's a, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. Uh, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a good asshole, right? Totally. Like, uh, he's, a, he's a good human being who's trying to do amazing stuff, and he happens to be an asshole who says some crazy-ass things as well. But... But like Starship represents the best opportunity, possibly the only opportunity, like certainly it wouldn't have been happening without Elon, um, that someone like you or myself might have to go to space, mm-hmm. possibly the moon in, mm-hmm. in our lifetime, right? So that might actually happen. I mean, like if Starship happens, uh, cost on a per person to go to space is going to drastically reduce, possibly by an order two orders of magnitude, meaning like a hundred times. So if you could, you know, take a trip to the moon uh, and, you know, like t- take a 10 day trip, stay at a hotel. On the moon. I mean, like those things are things that are going to be possible because of Starship, possibly in as early as 10 years from now. Right. It's incredible. It's incredible. That he completely dismantled like a, like completely entrenched, you know, market of, you know, you know, advanced aerospace companies yeah. and was able to create, you know, incredible value. Um, you know, not to mention, you know, the time, I mean, listen, I've, I've funded two sets of founders that, you know, were spinoffs of one was Tesla, one was SpaceX. And they said the same thing. It's like, yeah, it was the most intense place I've ever worked, you know, and like you lose, it's like, it's like, it's like dog years. You lose seven years of every year, <laughs> you know, but you know, you get out of there and you're just kind of like, if you work for another company, you don't start your own company. You're kind of like, like what, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> like there's no, you know, and uh, there's no intention. Right. right. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, being able to go into space, you know, I think that that, that industry has had some big contraction, you know, because of obviously venture funding and stuff. But if you look at aerospace, you look at defense, you look at, you know, how our, um, how the supply chain is set up for that, it's completely broken. It was like set up for like, you know, America in the 40s and 50s, which is like, we need more jobs, we need more jobs. And there's right. like this giant fragmented pyramid of different tiers of supply chain used to make these rockets or missile systems or whatever, you know, and um, it's just completely and utterly broken. There's no one to do it. There's actually some really interesting companies out there that are breaking that right now, which is yeah interesting. Yeah, I mean, and the sort of... Uh the goal of what Star Starship is trying to do, and just like the goals that Elon sets in general, are so crazy different than like what normally NASA would be trying to do. Mm -hmm. That just you know, partial success could be like ten x better than anything NASA could have hoped for. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean. Um, and and certainly the way that uh, the the previous companies, Boeing and Lockheed and the uh, the ULA, as they call them, the United launch alliance uh we're operating was uh was not going to be something that was ever going to get us even to the moon again you, you know so no, let, let alone they're calling it in man fat yeah. cats don't eat they don't hunt right. you know what i mean they were just yeah. you know they were doing they were just order taking exactly who's gonna break health care you, you, you know i think uh it might have to first break us before meaning like uh the um the U.S. budget before someone before we sort of like pay attention to it. Like we we as a as a uh, country, we only sort of fix things that are completely broken, not partially broken. So it has That's to completely break yeah. before we're like, oh, okay, wow, this doesn't work. But it's totally unsustainable. Healthcare like costs are like ridiculous. I mean, we we spend more than any other country. We get worse results than most other countries. I mean, like, it's so, it's so messed up. I mean, we, nobody knows even where to start. There's so much requirements. I mean, it just, you, you almost have to wipe this lake clean. Yeah. And that can't happen with all of this sort of systems and players involved. Yeah, no, it's, you know, I, I mean, I, I would like to see some kind of wedge, you know, because I think everything just has to, like, there's a little virus needs to kind of go in there to create, you know, something bigger. Right. And, um, you, you're right that there might, you know, something might come come across. Like, like for example, a really good example of a of a wedge that sort of helped um, transportation, for example, was like taxi system was completely broken, and Uber came along and like sort of broke all the laws. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and, and like got away with it. Why? Because the people wanted it, right? Like, uh, and correct, and, and <laughs> yeah. like everybody who tried to ban Uber, people revolted and those, those states or countries had to sort of relent and be like, okay, you, you know, you don't have to get taxi medallions to operate or whatever. Right. right. Like, whereas prior to that, to operate a taxi, you had to pay a quarter million dollars or, you know, but like, I think in New York, you had to pay a million dollars to have a taxi driver or a taxi medallion. Right. So it had become this ridiculous system that was impossible to penetrate, but then like Uber came along and did it somehow. Um, yeah, and, there needed uh, to be a technology that, you know, enabled it, right, which was mobile. But, well, not just that, but there had to be a willingness to break the law. I mean, like, there's mm -hmm. no other way to put it, but they freaking broke the law everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> they, no, they, they did not care. They did not care. <laughs> and and the, 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 uh, what they counted on is that they will become more successful and people will love them more 
then the speed at which um, the regulators and lawmakers can respond and shut them down. And by the time that happened, they were so big and uh, the people wanted them so much that uh, they, they essentially won. Right. What's another example of that? Airbnb hotels? Oh, Airbnb is probably another yeah. great example. But they didn't like completely disrupt the hotels. Hotel businesses continue to do really well. Yeah. And they they carved a nice little pocket out of that business. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, as a business, they've done well. But like, I don't know if, um, you know, like to do that in healthcare, I think it would be, it'll be interesting to see how healthcare gets fixed. But it's, it's not going to be in a traditional yeah, way. it's almost just got to be completely like, I, I think maybe it's, it's like, it's a fee for service model, but you know, there's no Medicare reimbursement. There's no, like literally people are saying, okay, this is what it costs for me to check your throat. This is what it costs <laughs> the broken bone. And like literally people are just transacting. Maybe AI is the, is what fixes uh, healthcare. I don't know. Like, because if, you know, AI could diagnose you, tell you exactly what's wrong and like, uh, also write prescriptions, then it costs near nothing. Yeah. That'd be nice. AI, right. Yeah. But, I, yeah. I think they're just going to deal with, I mean, it's just a human business. Right. And the people, I don't know if people are going to trust that. Well, I mean, if they might not have choice, right. You go to the doctor, pay $500 or the AI can take care of you for five. <laughs> right, like, <laughs> right. 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 You're going to pay for it out of yourself or, <clears throat> well, I think like what we're going to see is. I mean, this is not AI or technology, but like if you have any type of illness, you're never going to see a doctor. You're going to see a nurse practitioner and there's just oh, going right. to be, and there's like the, the doctor's just going to be quarterbacking his license right? because, and then, you know, what's happening now is now it's like, you know, it's just all this like consolidation, you know, with the CVS is now going to try to send all their insurance people. Like I, I was at Walgreens and I just changed my insurance to... Atna, and they're like, oh, we don't take your insurance. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's two of you, right? <laughs> you need yeah. to take my insurance. They're like, oh, well, Atna, you have to go to CVS now. And yeah. I'm like, that's, that's, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> You're forcing yeah. me to go to CVS. Mine You're an insurance exactly company. Backwards. I, I went to CVS. They're like, we don't take your insurance. <laughs> <laughs> you got to go to Walgreens. She's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, so it's like you're just kind of consolidating my choices. Right. It's kind of unreal. It's, it's pretty stupid. Yeah. Um, I mean, healthcare is broken in a lot. And prescription drugs are also, like, very, very broken. But mm -hmm. But yeah, what do you um, what are you reading right now? Uh, I'm reading the Elon Musk book, which is fascinating. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, that's actually pretty much it because I, I like I don't read a lot of books. Um, yeah, I don't have the time for it. Totally, I hear you. I like doing the audio if I'm like yeah. working out or something. Yeah, that's usually too. a good. It's like drinking. It's like drinking your vegetables, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. a little bit easier to do. But with all the podcasts I listen to, I listen to Lex Friedman and you know, like your podcast. Um, you don't but, listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> don't lie. If you listen to my but, podcast, you'd be complaining to me. I know. So I know you're not. No, you're not listening to my oh, podcast. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, but, but my podcast no, I mean, is so shitty <laughs> that you would actually be complaining to me about it. But no, I mean, in all seriousness, though, like uh, there's also too much to listen to as well. That mm -hmm. books are like so last year's stuff, you, you know, like yeah. it's just outdated. Yeah, no, so, I think that that's a, that's an interesting thing. It is kind of like a new, a new, uh, nuevo like kind of book, right? Yeah. Um, the, the Elon Musk book in particular is super fascinating because it's very up to date. It goes like literally up to like, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago, uh, <laughs> events. And then the other thing that is uh, super fascinating about it is the un unprecedented access that Walter Isaac, uh, Isaacson had to, um, 
to Elon Musk. He had similar access to Steve Jobs, not as 24-7 as he did to Elon. And uh, the Elon one is just brutal. Like, there's, like, so much uh, stuff that he talks about, like, how even his brother sometimes thinks he's, like, a fucking idiot. You know? Why do you think <laughs> Elon allowed the autobiography to be written? I think like he has this extreme sense of like um, right, which basically uh, includes, you, you know, like, hey, let's, you know, I could see him thinking in the way of like, hey, if the if an unbiased person comes in and observes me for a couple of years, whatever they write is open game. Right. And it's OK if it's like negative towards me. Right. Because there's also like plenty of positives, too. I mean, like it, uh, Isaacson recognizes his genius as well but like there's a lot of stuff yeah it's not like a puff piece by no, any means. no it's, have, you, have you read it i haven't I, I heard the interview with lex friedman though oh yeah i, I read the steve jobs one I, yeah. I decided i need to listen to that because his books have like really long chapters yeah you know and the steve jobs one is also excellent i love it is. i love that it is the chapters are just so long i'm so add like i need like an end point to like take a break and it's yeah. just kind of hard to do when there's you know really long chapters and all the sort of insights between the like uh different characters the bill you know in the steve jobs one bill gates and steve jobs and you mm-hmm. know their whole sort of there's so much interesting stuff in there that is super fascinating nice nice i mean it was great having you thank you it was great <laughs> chatting about this stuff this is like this my jam right? are you excitable <laughs> Well, I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're a little excited right I now. I get excited when I talk about, you know, like uh, <clears throat> Starship, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because now I'm imagining myself in that freaking, you know. You're not going to go in the Virgin, Virgin Galactic one? It's like suborbital. It's like, like, what's the, pl- the point? Like the plane. Yeah. yeah. Like, literally, you can take a flight that would be similar to that mm-hmm. today for eight grand on uh, zero gravity and they'll take you instead of once they'll take you like eight times mm-hmm. up and down and you'll have zero gravity for 45 seconds at a time for uh you, you know eight times i'm actually I, I need to pull the trigger and do that by the way whereas you, you are gonna do it uh, for 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 uh, not the virgin galactic uh the zero gravity Got and it. you can do that for what i'm saying is like it's similar to that mm-hmm. in, in the experience of weight and it's not 250 grand exactly right not to mention, they're not even doing it. You know, like, I think, the la- when was the last time they launched someone? I don't know. Like, didn't they, I thought they went bankrupt. They might, if not, they're probably on the verge of. Yeah. Oh, there may have been a Chamath. Uh, that was a thing, yeah. Grab, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was a, a, a pump and dumper. What, what a piece of work. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I get it, right? I would say, who doesn't pump their own book? You know yeah. what I mean? That is, that is a fact. Um, I don't think he got into these things knowing that he was going to dump them. Well, do you he, think, I mean, like he, like, he certainly set the expectation that he wasn't going to. Sure. You know, and, uh, and when he was dumping things, he was still giving interviews in very positive light as if he is holding on to things. So, I mean, he, he definitely misled quite a bit. hundred percent. But like if he had Savvy Trader, this wouldn't be an issue because people would know <laughs> automatically when he got out, right? This is the problem you're trying to solve is so people know when to get out. Right. right. <laughs> um, back to Savvy Trader. This episode is brought to you by Savvy Trader. <laughs> um, what I do like about Chamath, right, because he is like very grandiose and narcissistic, yeah. and, but he knows it, right? And I think it's a character he plays, yeah. right? You know, but... He does get like he does. He's a smart guy. He admits when he's wrong sometimes. Yeah, you know, 
Sometimes. Sometimes um, he takes the, both sides of the same issue at different times and then depends who he's talking congratulates to. himself on being right. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, did you forget you also said this? Dude, predictions are like a big thing in investor land, yeah. right? I mean, people love calling their shot right. and, and recognizing. I mean, that's all in now is all in all, all the time is I called that back in this episode. Let's replay it. Right. Like that. They put so much weight into like but they, them calling their shot. They also like, uh, have been wrong so many times. They never talk about, like, never talk yeah. about that. Um, I mean, basically everyone, including all of them predicted a, uh, major, uh, economic, uh, re- uh major recession, right. Mm-hmm. For the past two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, including myself, by the way, like, mm-hmm. but you know, like they never bring up that they were wrong about that. Right? Like, well, it hasn't know? happened yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like throwing a rock in the air and saying it's going to recession is going to happen. You know, <laughs> it's going to fall eventually. You just don't know when, but like, uh, you, you know, like in, uh, last year, maybe even late 2021, they were calling it that it was going to happen in early 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, then early 2022 was like, it's definitely happening by Q3, Q4, right? Like it was just always sort of like two quarters away. And, that theme was pretty consistent for a long time, including on their podcast, but yeah, no, uh, I, I think so. Um, they didn't take back about like, remember they thought there was going to be like this global famine, you know, for, right, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, no one they, talks about that. <laughs> you know, the, Europe is going to freeze over is going to be like, you know, the apocalypse. And, right. Yeah. You know, hundred million people I think is without uh, food. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to die as a result. Yeah. That, that, that just, was the estimate. Yeah. That just didn't happen by David, uh, Friedberg. Friedberg. I actually like him. I, I think he's the most human out yeah. of that group. <laughs> what uh what what is your um what's your what's your thought on the economy? Do you think soft landing, hard landing? You, you know, it's it's hard to say. Like for for me, uh it's hard to predict the macro stuff. Just and I like try not to do too much of it, but it like I think Q three numbers are gonna be great across the board for most of the companies. Um but you know, with interest rates being as high as they are it's hard to imagine something not breaking at some point, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, you know, I think uh, seven and a half, eight percent interest rates for homes is weird to have without home prices having collapsed. Correct. And both of those two things are, you know, like are true, meaning home prices have not collapsed and interest rates have tri- tripled <laughs> in the past year. Well, it's because everyone refied when rates were zero, right? Right. So like they're not selling their homes. I would say the volume's gone down, but everyone's hanging on to their home. So there's not, the prices aren't going to go down. Right. But so the hanging on to their home is only like, can only last for so long, right? So, Mm -hmm. because if you have to move, yeah. And there's low inventory. So when stuff does happen, the prices are higher. Right. Right. So that's, what's kept things in balance to some extent, but like at some point, the normal equilibrium of sellers and buyers have to happen. Right. You know what I mean? And, and when that happens, I, th- I think prices of homes will probably go down. It's hard to say. Yeah. Ray Dalio, thumbs up or thumbs down. I like him. World, world's going to end. Well, he doesn't exactly predict when, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but uh, the collapse of empires, uh, you know, like the, his arguments for it are hard to argue against. Totally. And, uh, and there's a lot of sort of like signs of those things that $30 trillion in debt that the U S has is not a good thing. No, no, there's not a, there's no, you can't explain that away. Yeah. 
I mean, it's basically like, uh, it's money we're basically never going to pay off, right? Like it's mm-hmm. near near impossible without major inflation happening. So, so something's got to give. Or a restructuring, right? How? But what does that do? I don't know. What, what, what I, restructuring I, how? You just make the bonds longer, right? Can you do that? Well, you got to bring the interest rates down first. Right. <laughs> to zero again. <laughs> and then refinance the whole thing based on a 500-year loan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then, Stranger things have happened, I mean. And then, and then balance the budget so that you don't continue to add to the debt. So, yeah. like, yeah. It'll happen. You just yeah. knock, the, knock, knock the can down the road. Like I said, you got it's got to break first before you fix it. <laughs> exactly. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Capital Stack. If you liked it, please subscribe, tell a friend, rate a review. It helps us out. And uh, we drop an episode every week. Go to the new, fresh, davidpaul.com. You know, it's really a big deal. Um, A lot of people have been requesting to personalize the domain. I had to buy it for like a million bucks. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, just kidding. But you'll see a blog there, my blog, as well as all the podcasts and stuff about DWP Capital, where we invest in early stage startups. So have again, have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.